tempted to join our voices together, sing praise to the Lord. Thank the worship team for the ministry. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for being able to sing together, to, to gather this morning regularly as we gather. We pray that you would open our eyes to the treasures in your word and that we will be more and more attuned to you and walking in your ways and getting close to you in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one complaint that I have often heard about God from people both inside and outside the church is something like, why would a good God allow this bad thing to happen? And you know, it could be children living in poverty. It may be a horrible storm, kind of like what we saw, how that storm tore apart that community. Uh, there's one hugely popular Christian musician, followed by so many young people, and he came back from a mission trip. He saw these, these children in extreme poverty, and he decided at that point, and probably there was a lot more into it than this, but this is what I heard. I heard him talking on, on a video. He just decided that Christianity can't be real if these children are suffering so badly and they didn't do anything wrong. And he even came to a point where he didn't believe in God anymore. <clears throat> now, you know, it seems to me that oftentimes we can, without thinking it through, we draw our own picture of God. I mean, it's like you can't help but do that. But the picture of God that we draw oftentimes is not complete. And if it's not complete, it's not accurate. And I believe one reason that we may do that, you know, have an inaccurate picture of God is because, you know, one reason, this isn't the only reason, but I believe that we don't really know enough of the Bible. I mean, sometimes you get to other parts of the Bible and you learn things about God that just surprise you. You didn't really think of that. And I think it's real hard for us to have a really full picture of God. That's why we have to be in the Word. We may be just looking at our favorite parts of the Bible, and then we may expect God to, to fit into our conception of him. Instead of seeing that fuller picture, you know, throughout the scriptures. And so in these next several weeks, I would like to go through a certain book of the Bible from the minor prophets. It's kind of like our time between now and the Easter season. And you know, in the Old Testament, we have minor prophets and the major prophets, and the difference between the two are just the length of the writings. The major prophets are the longer writings, prophetic books, and the minor prophets, for the most part, are the smaller uh, prophetic books. So in these weeks leading up to the Easter season, I would like to go through the book of Hosea. And I believe that book could help fill out our picture of God 
because we see some kind of different things in the book of Hosea that might kind of surprise us if you haven't thought about it for a while. But Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel back in the middle of the 700s B.C. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel at that time was in bad shape. And you may ask, well, when weren't, weren't they in bad shape? Good question. But anyway, <clears throat> I guess they were particularly in bad shape at this time. They had walked away from God in their lives. Uh, during that time, they went through six different kings in 25 years. Four of them were murdered by their successors. One was captured in battle. And only one was succeeded by his son, which is the way that you usually do it. You know, the king retires and the son comes and takes on that dynasty. But that happened to only one of them during this time period. Bloodshed followed bloodshed. And the powerful Assyrian army was preparing to destroy the kingdom of Israel at this time. They'd even been sending messages because Israel had been unfaithful to their ultimate king, God himself. But you might be surprised as we look how God handles this situation with his disobedient people. So I'd like to look first of all as we open to the book of Isaiah, or Hosea, which means salvation, and look at verse 1 of the chapter 1, the book of Hosea. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Uh, you know, years were marked according to the lives of the kings. You know, and every time a new king would come up, that'd be kind of like year one. And then you'd start in the year six of such and such a king and that sort of thing. And we mark our years according to the birth of a king, don't we? Year 2023. So we kind of do the same thing. But now I want you to look and see what God tells his prophet to do his prophet Hosea, because Israel has walked far away from God. But watch what God chooses to do. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land, the land of Israel, the northern part, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So Hosea, he married Gomer, daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. <clears throat> now, what do you think of that? I mean, God tells his prophet to marry a woman who is known for sleeping around with different men. Not something we would normally expect from God, and not something we would normally think God would want a prophet, a holy prophet to do. But you see, God was using this to drive home a real strong point to his people. But to marry an immoral woman? What about the prophet's reputation? But he had a reason. 
God was showing and warning his people through his faithful servant what they were like to him as a very lifelike illustration of this is what you are to me. You are like people going out and having illicit sexual relationships. They were living and being totally unfaithful to their God who had loved them and rescued them over and over from enemies and taking them you know, out of Egypt at the beginning and settling them in the land. And so he used extreme means to drive his point. And you know, there are other places in the Bible where prophets did really strange things, you know, like laying on their side naked for so many days, you know, that, that, all that kind of stuff that God would use to drive points home. And when people would see them, they would just like, whoa, what's going on? And he would do that to rebuke his people in times of sinfulness, which was a lot of the times. They were graphically symbolic. So Hosea marries Gomer, this immoral woman, and she bears him a son. He obeyed the Lord. That's good. And now from verses 4 through 9, God gives the kingdom of Israel an unpleasant look into their future. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him, he's, you know, he's talking about his son, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived. Again, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. So God gives Hosea's son a name that reflects the punishment that he is going to inflict upon the house of Jehu, that, that Jehu was a leader who murdered a bunch of people, and it was at Jezreel. And so really, God has given him the name Jezreel, which really pointed to something really bad in their history, you know, a massacre, a murder. And Hosea and, Goma, and Goma, Gomer's son is a sign of impending judgment of, and of Israel's unfaithfulness. So God used these really graphic uh, ways to send messages across. And now, I want to look here at these next few verses, 6 through 9. I'll read 6 again. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her her lo ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo Ruhama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. 
So they have two children, and they are not loved and not my people. How would you like to be born into that family? So God is speaking very clearly that Israel is going to be punished for their unfaithfulness to him. And he says, I won't forgive you at all. I mean, they've gotten to that point. But he says he will show love to Judah, the southern kingdom. And we know from history that Israel, the northern kingdom, was conquered in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And that Judah lasted over 100 years longer because they had not been as evil and wicked. So we see God's punishment coming upon them when, you know, they've used up all of their sin. (laughs) But what about the way God is working all of this out? Would we ever have dreamed that this is the way that God would work with his people? The way that he would carry out his judgments? You know, having his prophet marry a woman of the night having him name his children not loved and not my people. I mean, so graphic, but such a cost. You know, God's plan sometimes takes decades or even centuries or even millennia to come to fruition, don't they? And so we see that, and we see this strange thing that God has, you know, is, is working out with this prophet and his wife and their children. And, you know, at first we would just look at that and say, that's not good. That's not smart. But, you know, God works things out over, like I said, decades and centuries and even millennia. And so are we going to inform him, just like people do, that he doesn't exist if his plans don't fit into our ways of thinking? That's what people do. They look and they say, I don't get this. There can't be a God. Or, from what we know, would it be better to hang on to his promises even if we can't understand them and just trust that he is working something out. Or even if he doesn't go by our timetable. But now look at verses 10 through the first verse of chapter 2. He says, Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. I mean, the whole mood changes here. Now he's going into what's going to happen in the future. We'll be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. You know, they've been separated for, for centuries. They will appoint one leader... And come up out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. Now Jezreel is a positive term, isn't it? Say of your brothers, my people. And of your sisters, my loved one. So, 
God is saying there is a day coming. You know, when you start into that punishment, you start into that judgment, looks like no way. This is it. This is the end. He says that those who were named not my people will be called children of the living God. And a day is coming when the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah will be joined together as one land and one ruler. He says, because great will be the day of Jezreel. The Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which can't be measured or counted. These are the people that are getting trounced right now by God's judgment. And the day of Jezreel will be turned from judgment to celebration. It will become, a God can turn horrible things into something good. It will be celebrated after that. But then here in chapter 2, this tells us even more about the Lord. We have this prose going through chapter 2. And it's God recounting the journey that the nation of Israel is going through on the way to their restoration. So watch here as we read through the first half of this chapter. And watch how it begins with God's judgment on Israel and unfaithfulness. And then we'll turn into God's forgiveness. God is saying to them, it's actually like he's talking to the sons of Gomer. Rebuke your mother. And, and everything is, you know, he's talking to these, to these people, but it's, it's talking to the nation. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. You know, he's talking about Israel here. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for bail. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales, 
She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot. But me she forgot, declares the Lord. Now that's the story of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And he has brought judgment upon her and is bringing judgment upon her for her actions in order to turn them back to him. And so God is recounting this. He's showing what's going to happen. And so now we look at the rest of this chapter and and the big change. Here's God talking. Therefore, I am now going... He's he's taken her through the the judgment. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There, I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. It's God who initiates the restoration of the relationship, isn't it? He takes them through judgment and he brings them to a place where they can turn back to him. And when they do, after they've done all that bad, and when he judges them, and then he comes back and he just showers them. He makes all these fantastic promises. And God has the glorious future full of abundance and safety and belonging and love. So his judgments, they're for good, aren't they? His judgments bring people to a place where they can turn back to him. And he does it out of love. But he has to judge sin, so there's that part of it. But then he does it out of love and brings his wife back to him. And then he tells He ends this by telling Hosea to rejoin his wife. So you got even the the people part of it joining back together. Uh, Chapter 3, there's only five verses in chapter 3. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. 
So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. So she must have been enslaved. <clears throat> and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Ever borrowed a lethic of barley? Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So, you know, humanity so often wants to walk away from God when things aren't going well, when we, you know, are, are into hard times or even we've done something wrong and we're just thinking that God should treat us differently. And we kind of think that, you know, we know better than God does. And we may see something in the world that we want we may be drawn to the world's trinkets. We may become enamored with the world's enticements. And it may come to the point where we feel like our relationship to God just really isn't delivering all we want. And so much of everything in our lives, you know, it's the battle between wanting it now and here and in this world and all the trinkets of the world rather than choosing God later. We can have him now, of course, but I mean the fullness later. Putting our treasures up in heaven. I mean, that's the, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Placing our treasures in heaven. But we just get so carried away. I mean, we're flesh, and we get carried into the world's thoughts, and, and we see it all around us, and there's so many enticements through all kinds of means and all kinds of ways and all the immediate gratification that the world offers. And on the other side, you have God, who is the source of all truth and love and lasting enjoyment, lasting joy. And to go back to where we began, the nation of Israel had drifted way far, far away from God. And their history with God had been so rich, so unbelievable. He freed them from slavery. They left Egypt a wealthy people. You know, they ransacked Egypt on their way out. God told them during the, the time that he was, you know, going to uh, slay the Egyptians through the, the, uh, all the, the trouble that he was giving them. He told them, and when you leave, Ask them for their, their gold and their, all, all of their wealth. And they poured it on because they wanted them bat out there so badly. But to go back to where we began, the nation of Israel had drifted away from God. Their history with God had been such, such a rich history. He led them in the desert for 40 years. And the only reason they had to go 40 years is because they refused to take the land when he told them it was theirs. They, they didn't trust him. After all that he had done with the plagues and the destruction of Egypt and taking them out and the, the, the Red Sea, and he says, 
You can take it. They said, no, we can't. But he hung with them for 40 years in the desert. He brought them to a kingdom. Yet they ended up even, you know, wandering off like a harlot. And, you know, we see people today turning away from God. They've become disappointed, disenchanted. But my question this morning is, do they really know God? Are they thinking about how he's worked over time? Do they really know the scriptures enough? We don't have to be experts, but if we can get a good picture of God. The world offers immediate pleasures that end up empty. But God offers eternal fulfillment and true joy. And disappointment in God is our short-sightedness and then becomes our extreme loss. We, we need to get to know God for who he really is. His plans for us are unbelievable and rich and fulfilling. So it does us well to get to really know God and then we will be the winners. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things we don't understand fully, but we know that we should trust you and that we need to trust you. And so give us a heart of trust, we pray, a heart of seeking you, a heart of desiring you. And Lord, may we understand your goodness your love and your gifts to us, even in these days when we're waiting for something better. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.